Welcome everyone to LaRouge Rugby, where we're trying to do we're going to try to do the same thing for 15 minutes and hope it works. Oh wait, sorry everyone, those are Kingley's Jones attacking notes for the Fiji game. But we'll keep moving on anyways. Derek, how are you doing tonight? Ah, uh, not too bad, man. You? I'm doing good. You know, the last few days in terms of the rugby world have been interesting. So let's uh, let's get started and. We're going to dive right into it. We're going to attack this Fiji game because there's a lot to unwrap here at this game. That mm-hmm. you know, we talked back and forth about this, and it, it was a frustrating game to watch in certain levels. Um, but the first thing we need to talk about, and it, it was something that people talked about online, is Canada's set pieces. Uh, yeah. when, when they started the game, they were kind of getting they were getting destroyed in the scrum. And, you know, as the game went on, that kind of balanced itself out a little bit. But, I mean, one of Fiji's tries was scored off of a set piece where there was some confusion in the back row and, and Fiji pounced on it. You know, there were just some scrums that, that Fiji just looked much more powerful. But the main problem, and I joked about it at the start, was there was like a 15-minute period in that game I remember it vividly because I was up with my uh, I, I was out without internet, so I had no idea how this game was going. I was watching it on TV, and I just kept on watching them do the same thing over and over again in the lineout, you know. And and Fiji just took advantage of them. Like you got to give me something. What what? How can they fix this? Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, I think the first thing we got do have to kind of address is you know. The lineout was actually better uh, than it was against the States in the sense that Eric Howard was connecting on pass it, on the throws yeah. to his jumpers. Um, so that that was was an improvement on the first game against the United States. Uh, yeah, just, you know, he got the ball there. The ball wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't being, like, lost immediately. I, he didn't get penalized for throws not being straight. So that was... Eric Howard, that was an improvement just right off the get-go. Um, as far as everything else, though, um, yeah, like, it wasn't, like, it was just, you gotta give me, show me something else. Um, like, it was just, the first time you did it, and then Fiji kind of ran right through, took down the mall. It's like, alright, like, that's that's fine, you know, they, they got the better of you. The second time, it's just kind of like, ah, we should maybe not try that again. The third time is like, okay, yeah, seriously, like, let's do a different play. The fourth time is when you start questioning if they have another play in the playbook um, to go to. And then the fifth time, you just don't really know what to do at that point. Um, but, like, I just – that's the thing, though. Is like, I just don't get why they, they didn't try a different play. Um, just because it's, it's five attack – I believe it's a ten-minute stretch – uh, it's five attacking lineouts um, in good position, and it was basically they switched up the guy that was actually getting the ball once. Um, they went to the back of the lineout on one play, which Fiji actually didn't end up completely stopping, and they actually managed to get the ball out, but they didn't go anywhere with it anyways. Um, but uh, but the other four four were just it was the same the same play four times and Fiji just went right through it to the point where it was like on the fifth play you can see Fiji's just like waiting for the ball basically to come in um 
But the thing, the thing I don't really get with it is that at different points of the game, um, Canada actually showed that they had um, like something different in their lineouts. Uh, most notably, most notably, uh, just let me double check here. Yeah, the forty-sixth minute of the game, um, the they set up uh, Gordon McCrory as uh, sets up inside the actual line, and Lucas Rumble. Um, comes off normally to where the scrum half would kind of be in that position. And they just go, Eric Howard just throws a really short ball to McCrory, catches it, and just fires a pass to Rumble, who Rumble had 10, maybe 15 meters of nobody in front of him. And unfortunately, he dropped the pass. Um, but, like, that, like, I thought, like, as a play, like, it was a really solid lineup play. Um, mm-hmm. Fiji... You can see the way Fiji's jumpers or the Fiji lifters and the jumpers in the lineout, the way that they react to it, they didn't expect it at all. Um, the fact that when the ball actually goes out to rumble, there is no one, uh, there's no one that's really reacted from the lineout to break off to go try to hit him. And nobody from the back line has moved up too much beyond what the back line would normally react to the ball going out to the backs. Um, it's just. I, it's just unfortunate that Rumble dropped the ball, um, but otherwise, like I thought, it was like a really good pass, and I just I don't get why during that stretch when they tried it, it was just like put the ball up, go for a mall, put the ball up, go for a mall, put the ball up, go for a mall, and there was they just they never at any point in time, uh, never at any point in time tr- tried that play again, um, because it quite frankly it did work. It's just Rumble dropped the ball, which. I mean, if like watching the pass, that's a pass he probably catches ninety nine times out of a hundred. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's just you know, it's just unfortunate that that was the one out of a hundred. Um, but it was actually like a really well drawn play. Like I don't understand why they just didn't do anything else that went, you know, straight to the backs or anything else that got the ball out quickly instead of trying to set up the mall. Because I don't even necessarily think if it was like the line that was like like Fiji was destroying Canada on the Fijian malls too. Um, when they went to that, like the pack was, um, like, uh, I think you kind of, like, we kind of touched on it. The scrum was a little bit overpowered, um, as well as the, the, uh, the line outs, the same pack, it was overpowering on Canada, but I think yeah. if they, like, I just don't get why they didn't, after seeing it fail the second or the third or the fourth time, then to decide, Hey, let's just get the ball to the backs and then we can go at least use that as the platform. Um, and I, th- I think that point that you just mentioned is. They, they continuously went with the same line out. Like, they just basically told the backs, we don't think that you're a viable option right now. And maybe that was because they felt overpowered compared to Fiji or not. But you're, you're right. There was, it was, there was no creativity to it. And then that's something that we've been harping on this, this coaching staff and this, this leadership group from Canada, that there, there hasn't been any creativity. And I mean, their only their only try that they scored by Kainoa Lloyd was just something that kind of happened through a breakdown. Uh, so it is frustrating, and, and, and it's got to be something that's got to be fixed. I mean, they've got uh, four more games left, and one of them's against a uh, a provincial all star team. So mm-hmm. they've got they've got three matches, two of them test matches, that they really they need to prove that there's going to be some type of progression in terms of the offense, and 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 I think it comes down to that they need to settle their line like i think they, they've moved the 10 the 10 spot around so much 
mm-hmm. and and the nine spot. I think that we need to have, and I know I know Canada's a little bit behind in terms of their their other World Cup uh, competitors in terms of being able to finagle that roster around with having to win qualifying last and. You know, ARC didn't have anyone, everyone available due to injuries and whatnot. But now is the time to to create that chemistry. So maybe that's that's what they're going to be looking for in the the Leinster and the 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 U.S. game that's happening in September. Uh, but something's got to happen. Um, the other thing that we that we both noticed is in the first ten minutes of both halves, Fiji just came out blazing you know what needs to happen for on canada's half to match that intensity is it they need to just uh be be more aggressive on the on the ball or is it is it a mistake kind of issue um, I, yeah i i don't know to be honest with you man like i, I re-watching the game a couple like i don't know if like Fiji really came out of the gate like guns blazing here. Um, within the first ten minutes of the opening half, the second half, yes, we'll talk about that soon. Uh, <laughs> but like the the first half, I think, I think like the, one of the things is like Canada actually did a pretty good job of controlling like the territory and the ball possession in this game. Um, the from the official stat from World of Rugby at the end of the game was that Canada had sixty two percent of the possession, um, which is. Like, which no matter how, like, that's a good number. Um, you can't really uh hate that number a little bit. Um, but I think Canada just kind of they didn't do anything super flashy necessarily in the first 10 minutes of the game, but they were really put the ball into the Fijian end. Um, they were able to draw penalties and even, um, and realistically, um, the Fijian try in the first 10 minutes was insane. Like, that was a like it was a highlight reel try, like, yeah. That, um, like that play started because. Three Canadian players tried to go tackle Sehau, and he decided that because he's Fijian, he can throw behind the back offload <laughs> around three guys um, to perfectly go to Mata, who, despite being the size of a giant, can run like just a run like prancing. a deer. Yeah, can run like a deer prancing through a meadow on a spring day, <laughs> um, but. And like, yeah, it's like that's that's the Fijian game, though. Is that what they're known for, right? They're known for that, like the crazy flashes of brilliance, um, especially with ball handling. Um, and that that was the one that was the try that Fiji got in the first ten minutes, and like it was highlight reel, and it's an absolutely gorgeous offload. Um, but you know, like they at the, after tw- like, but Canada was able to get the ball into their territory and draw penalties that. O'Leary um, was demonstrating, you know, why he, you know, led the uh, RFU championship in scoring for a bit there um, with, you know, he had some like really nice goal kicking. Um, also, the the conversion kick on Lloyd's try, we can maybe talk about it later, but that was an insane kick. Too. Yeah, that was just um, insane. So O'Leary was, I thought like O'Leary was kicking well and Canada turned, you know, uh, I'll extend this a little bit, uh, but like, you know, after the first 12 minutes of the game, Canada's winning 6-5. Uh, just by getting the ball into Fijian territories, forcing them to take a penalty, and right, right. Uh, O'Leary uh, slotted his kicks. Um, they just they gave up one um, insane highlight reel try, uh, which doesn't take anything away from the way the Fijians were playing because that was right, amazing. Right. Um, and Canada was in complete scramble mode the second uh, Mata touched the ball there, but 
Uh, but yeah, I don't know if the first 10 minutes of this game, I would say uh, Canada really started off slow, mainly because they were winning after the first 12 minutes. Right. Um, but yeah, the second half, though, um, the second half that Fiji came out guns blazing on the second half. I'll agree with that one. Um, I think part of it was right from the opening kickoff. Um, you know, Fiji, despite being the team that was winning the game, they were up by they were up by six um, heading into halftime realistically they probably should have been up more but you know thanks to that really nice defensive play from Blevins uh he was they were able to uh Kanoa Lloyd was able to turn that in, uh, defensive work into a nice try um but yeah like they came up Fiji Fiji even though they were the team that was ahead was the team that made the biggest and most like crucial halftime adjustment which right from the opening kickoff it's like Fiji in the first half, they would receive the kick and they would try to run because that's what Fiji does. They get the ball, they <laughs> run. Fiji, though, in the second half, start immediately as soon as the first kickoff comes, they kick it right back into Canadian territory. And then they started to do that. They actually started to kind of get away a little bit from the traditional like running style that Fiji possesses and started kicking for territory a little bit more to get that advantage back. Um, they started letting their forwards just kind of go to work a little bit. Um, but yeah, ultimately, uh, they ended up with two tries in the first 10 minutes of the half. Um, one of those tries, which we kind of touched on earlier, came out of a set piece, um, which was just a scrum like in the middle of the field. And they just fired it out to the back lines and the, ba- and the Fijian backs just um, outran everybody yeah. um, in a red jersey. Uh, but but yeah, and that's you know that's pretty much all they needed. Fiji basically, Fiji almost like locked the game down after the 60th minute, and they just kind of or at the, after the 50th minute, excuse me. Um, and yeah, down to what they won. But I don't, I don't, I don't hate the first 10 minutes of the first half. Um, especially like it's tough to you know say Canada's winning, they didn't, you know. Um, but the first 10 minutes of the second half was definitely, yeah. I don't, I don't really know what you got to do to stop that, but that was uh, I thought you know, Fiji made a huge adjustment and I don't know if Canada was necessarily ready for, you know, the Fijians to start kicking for territory and stuff coming back at them. There's a few just like brain fart moments as well. I mean, I remember Gordon McRory having a point where he started trying to develop, uh, build up a wall to do a box kick. And then the ref was saying, you know, use it, use it. He didn't. And then he touched it with his hand. So uh, he was, he gave, the penalty to Fiji and there's a couple different p- points in, in that that first you know 10 minutes of the second half that I really think that gave Fiji more uh time to play and I think another thing that happened uh and agree with me or disagree with me on this is that uh Canada box kicked a lot and and, and it was a lot when they had possession it was they would do a couple of 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 uh, set plays with the forwards, maybe one play with some of the centers, and then box kick for territory. And it just seems strange to me that you're going to give the Fijians, who are known for their strong running and open field, a chance to burn you. Yeah, and like that's 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 what happened on that first try in the opening ten minutes too. It was a box kick, and then Fiji ran it back on them. Um, but. But yeah, like it, it, it's tough. It's it's tough to be like to uh, be willingly putting the ball into Fijian hands. Um, but yeah, I, I think 
I think Canada, I think in a way Canada did pretty well um, with us, at least as far as they, they had a lot of territory. They just didn't make, they just didn't do anything with the territory. Yeah. Um, which I and think that's a big change because like, there was there that's was a, a lot change. of box. Yeah, sorry, there was a lot of box kicks that were from like just inside the Fijian half too, right? It was like it's like you're already there. Um, just the it wasn't so much the box kicking that bothered me. It was the there was a lot of times I felt in the game. I believe when I uh, wrote my article for Layman Sports, I highlighted two of them. Um, which was one, uh, the Fijians were passing the ball down the line, and one of the Fijians eventually knocks the ball on, to which, obviously, any good ref would be playing advantage for the Canadians at that point. Um, but Hearn just picks up the ball and just <laughs> rifles it into a Fijian guy's, like, cheese. And it was it was just, like, dude, you, you have advantage. Like, try to... You know, pick up the ball. If that if the Fijian player is too close to you, just take the hit, put it into contact, and let you know. Try a play. Uh, yeah. Try to do something to get through, because uh, you have an advantage. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's it's fine. It's a free play. Maybe he was uh, hoping that he was going to kick through the Fijian. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he. I'm sure that's what he was maybe thinking. Um, try to kick through, but it was just. But again, though, it's just like, like, why? Like, you just got the ball. If you kick that through, too, and it goes far enough, the referee probably ends advantage, and the Fijian player just picks it up and starts running back. Yeah. Um, but, and uh, Jamie McKenzie did it, too. Another one where they're, I think a Fijian player was offside uh, at a ruck or something like that, and he just sent a grubber kick through. And it was just like, okay, like, you're just... You know, like you're just you're kind of just kicking the ball away, um, and if all you're gonna do is put a rubber kick towards the touchline, you probably were better off in that situation to just, you know, try something and then you know let, um, I can't remember who was on the field, like Nelson or O'Leary or whoever um, it was on the field at that point, um, to just you know kick the ball further down, set up a farther down line out if you're just gonna. You know, when you have advantage, you're just going to send it a uh, little grubber kick to the sidelines. You might as well just, you know, you might as well just knock the ball on and then kick it, you know, five to ten times farther down the field. Um, and then set up that yep. attacking lineup where perhaps you get your mall stuffed again or perhaps you try something new. Um, but So then let me ask you a question then. And I was going to ask it you later, but I want to hear your answer about this. Are you happy with the way this game went? And, and, and it's let's compare it a little bit to the U.S. game. Because the way I see it, watching these two games is like watching my 10-month-old daughter try to walk. And like That's just the way that Canada's just been playing rugby the last few weeks. So are you happy can with the way... Can your 10-month-old daughter walk? No. She can, she can, like, she can like balance herself against like a couch or something and, like, and sidestep. Ah. And well, that's, she's, that's, getting that's there, right? she's getting there. She's we're getting walking soon, though. Yeah, we're getting close to like world, like World Cup rugby, but we're not there yet. Um, so, are you happy with the way this game went compared to the way the U.S. game went? Because I definitely see progression. Yeah, I think I think if to be honest with you, I think if you if you're a Canadian player, uh, you can probably honestly every single one of the guys that played in this game, um, and Kingsley Jones as well. 
Uh, you could probably look at yourself and be like, we played and honestly say we played a lot better than against the United States. Um, I think that's that's definitely a fair thing to say. Um, to be honest with you, I think, like you said, like even like the Fijian uh, mall defense kept destroying our mall with that lineup. But it was even just like even those little things where it's like the lineup throws are connecting. Like we're not just like like even at that, you're not just giving Fiji the ball. Like Fiji is making a great defensive effort to get the ball back. Like they're not just, you know, like whereas in the United States game, they were just we're just throwing the ball to you. Yeah, uh, yeah, whether it was like literally because the ball wasn't straight or it was just a bad throw that the American jumpers were able to get to. Um, Fiji, at the very least, was earning that turnover. And you could say what you will about the actual tactic from the Canadian end, but like it's it's still it's essentially four. It's also four or five great defensive plays from Fiji because they mm-hmm. just completely destroyed them all. Um, so it's like you can see some improvement there. I think, though, if you are a member of the Canadian team, uh, you can look at that game and say that you played better than the United States. But at the same time, um, you should be looking at yourself saying, we can play a lot better than this, Um, which I still think Canada definitely can play better than this. Oh, for Uh, sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, if I think you, I think you're happy to see improvement, but you're maybe like there's certainly things that like the Canadian players aren't th- going to be thrilled with. Uh, you're probably not thrilled with the fact that you had your lineup blown up four times in mold defense. Um, you're probably not happy that the scrum got you know out muscled in a lot of occasions. Uh, you're probably not happy with some of the you know just you know the ball handling errors that you know occur throughout a game. Um, but I think overall, like you can be happy with the fact that you, they played a lot better than against the United States. In the yeah. Game. Yeah. So uh, to top well, this off, of a, it's kind of like a bit of column, a bit of column. You yeah. shouldn't be like totally angry about this game. Like yeah. I don't. And, and so, so going off of that, then, you know, this will be our, our last question about the Fiji game, just because we really talked about everything we can about the game. Uh, who impressed you in their their audition? Uh, you know, for me, uh, we kind of mentioned it and we kind of joked that his his throws made it into the lineout. Uh, but I also liked what I saw out of Eric Howard. He made a couple yeah. of good hits, carried the ball pretty well. Um, you know, wh- when you're used to seeing Ray Barkwell and the way he he plays the game, uh, Eric is very similar in that style of of running with the ball. Um, and I loved watching him uh, down in NOLA. Anytime Toronto played them or they were, they were on Facebook Live, I loved watching him play uh, with them. So I was really impressed with the way he uh, he played. Um, Shane O'Leary as well, I really enjoyed. Uh, well, I'm not going to say really enjoyed, but he, I, I liked what I saw from him as well. Uh, O'Leary his, 10, Nelson 15 is a lot better than, than um, Nelson 10, yeah. yeah. I, I think I, I agree with you. I really liked what happened there. Um, I would like to see O'Leary Mac just because I think that's at the end of the day going to be our best option. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll get into what they what they did for the next game in, in a second. Uh, what about you? Who who from this game gave you positive vibes? Um well, one, I'll start with one. Um, it is really good to see Lucas Rumble back on a rugby field. 
Um, you know, he had uh, his knee injury that took, kept him out for most of the Major League Rugby season. Um, but he looked – I, I don't know if he maybe didn't play the whole game because, you know, they're doing a little bit of uh, injury management and stuff with him. Um, but, yeah, and he, he looked really good in this game. Um, he was – you know, he was at a lot of the breakdowns. Um, he had uh, a ridiculous tackle to save a try to actually hold the ball up um, at one point as well. Um, Fiji did end up scoring a few play a few minutes later, but the tackle was still really nice. Um, and yeah, it's just I think I think the Canada really kind of I think they were kind of missing his presence a little bit against the United States. And uh, we're like you said, we're gonna get into the the lineup for the Tongan game, and we'll be talk. I'll be talking about Rumble a little bit more in that. Um, Howard, uh, Mike Shepard, um, coming on in the second minute of the game after uh, Blanchett went down. Um, you know, play, playing a little bit out of position, playing on the flank instead of what he has been playing all year leading up to this point at a uh, lock. Uh, but you know, he he made his way around the pitch uh, quite a bit and. Uh, you know, even like towards the end of the game, when the game's clearly lost, he's still out there throwing massive hits on guys. Um, so it's always really nice to see. And uh, uh, I'll give a little shout out to Kanoa Lloyd as well. Um, so obviously, he had the try, um, but even leading up to that, you know, he was finding the way, to, finding ways to get the ball in his hands. And uh, especially in the first half, I thought he was he was a lot more of a factor than like even like you know Jeff Hassler was. Uh, playing on the opposite wing so that was uh that was really nice to see um he's uh you know one of those guys that people kind of debate the spot on his team on the team especially you know given that he struggled to have playing time with the arrows all year um so it's nice to nice to see something positive for him happen during especially during the first half of this one yeah yeah i don't know anyone who can who watches kind of say he doesn't deserve playing time either with Canada or with the Arrows. I, I always have liked watching him play, um, whether it be with the Arrows, with Canada, or I actually got was fortunate enough to watch him in university. So it was uh, definitely, I was definitely very happy to see that he was on the score sheet. And I, I was also impressed in how he played. Okay, moving on. So the Tonga game, this Thursday, 11 p.m., not on TV. But it's going to be on TSN Direct or TSN Go. We're, we're not going to get into that because I know you're pretty fired up about that. And if anyone wants our feelings about that, go to our first uh, Pacific Nations uh, episode where we preview the U.S. game. Both him and I, both Derek and I get very fired up about it. But we're not. We don't have the time for it. I just, I just want rugby on TV, man. I, just, I know. So I do I. want it on TV. So this lineup, this lineup, mm-hmm. I think uh, I'm just looking at the forward pack right now. Juru, Howard, Tierney, Shepard, Olmstead, Bailey, Rumble, Ardron. This is probably as close as a, of a the World Cup rosters we're going to get. With yeah, that with that pack is uh, that's that's my that's a solid pack. Yeah. yeah. And um, I, I honestly like the idea of Sears Duru starting over Biden's. I, I've been, uh, you know, in previous years, I haven't been as impressed with Sears Duru, but this season with, with the uh, Seawolves, he was really, really impressive, especially yeah. in the playoff game against the Arrows. He just took it to them. 
So I would like to see him maybe start. Yeah, I think I think um, I think right now I would have it to be honest with you. I'd probably like I still think Rob Brower has been had an unreal year. And to be honest with you, I still think he's probably the most informed prop Canada has. I don't mind uh, Sears Duru and uh, Biden's getting into this game just because I think you got to. Um, I think it's it's a pretty tight uh, three way battle for the yeah. one jersey, and, and uh, it, you got to give everybody. I think you got to give everybody a fair chance yeah. at this. So, you know, when this is all said and done, you're going to have all three of these. Uh, when you know at the end of the Pacific Nations Cup period, we're going to have all three of these props had a start, and all three of these props came off the bench, and all three of these props sat a game. Um, and I think so, I think the one thing that I I'm trying to have reality like sink in is like I know Jones has his guys that he likes. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to look at this realistically because I want Rob Brower to play in the World Cup so badly. He had such a good season and his oh, story he's... is amazing and I want him to play. But at the end of the day, I just have this like, gut-wrenching feeling in my stomach that because he was out in the wilderness of Rugby Canada and not playing for Kingsley, especially at the repechage, He's going to be all, I'm not going to have you play because you're not one of my boys. And we've, we've seen him, especially at this PNC, pick guys that he knows he, he, he can trust. And I'm just, I'm, I'm being pessimistic. But that, that's just how I feel about that number one spot. I, I just think it's going to come down to Biden's and Sears Duru just because they're familiar with what Jones has played with before. That's the thing is I I, th- I think I think though no matter what it's close enough that all three of these guys deserve to start and I'm happy all three of these guys are getting yeah. a start because um, then you get you know you get like the tape from all three of them so like we'll just see like I think in this game like this is a huge game for uh, Sears Duru uh, it's also a huge game for Biden's too mm-hmm. but like you gotta um, the like it's you could probably toss any one of these three guys in the number one jersey um, for the opener of the World Cup, and I wouldn't really complain about it. Yeah. And um, the thing is, the thing is, is like how many they're, they're probably all three of them are probably going to get playing time. Yeah, just with how close their games are between between the South Africa and Italy game, yeah. they're, they're going to have all three of them play. I'm just being pessimistic. I, yeah, I know they're probably that's, all that's, that, like, like that's good. That's a that, ultimately, you know, it's a good thing. You got you actually. It's one of the few. It's one of the like really few positions on this team where you're like, there's uh there's three options and you they're kind of all pretty good. Um, so you know, it's not like uh there's no clear cut guy that should be wearing the number one jersey. So. You know, let's uh let's see what uh Sears Duru brings to the table against Tonga to see if he can, yeah. you know, you know, maybe uh stick his nose out ahead of the and you know, just a little bit position himself just a little bit better than Biden's and Brower. Um, you know, just kind of slowly get there and then by the time we get to the uh you know, by the time we get to the, the finish line when it's actually World Cup time, I guess we'll see who's wearing it. But yeah. Um there's still like you said, there's a few more games even after the Pacific Nations Cup. I'm sure we're going to see a combination of Sears Duru, Biden's, and um, uh, Brower starting and sitting and complete starting coming off the bench and completely sitting out games um, until you know we end up with we end up with a guy that we want to put in the number one jersey. Yeah. So the next the next position 
I want to talk at talk about, and we've talked about every single episode, but in but it's because there's been such a rotation is the number ten jersey. Uh, yep. So Gordon McRory will be starting at number ten. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the 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 pairing of Mac and McRory that won the repechage. So again, I'm, we're going back with things that are comfortable for Kingsley. Mm-hmm. Um, and then DTH at 11, Kieran Hearn, Ben Lesage, Lesage, Jeff Hassler, and Peter Nelson at the 15 jersey. So the back line in, in the backs hasn't changed a whole lot. DTH is back in, and then you got Hassler on the other wing. Um, Taylor Paris seems to still be out with with the with the the head knock stitches. Maybe he still has Hassler's tooth stuck in his forehead. We really don't know. Um, what do you think about McRory starting at ten? Because I know a lot of people have very passionate opinions about this. Yeah, um, it's I so. Like we just said, with the number one jersey, I think we have in our third guy start in three games because it's a really tight position battle. Um, and you got to see what all three of those guys can bring, and you got to give them a chance to play to earn that jersey. I think this is the third start guy to wear the 10 jersey in three games because we have no idea who's going to be wearing that jersey. And we're just kind of I and. And it's not for a, it's a tight positional battle or anything. It's just uh, we like don't know who's actually going to yeah. be wearing that jersey. I mean, the um, last World Cup it was Nate Hariyama, and he had like yeah. three Test caps as exactly. a ten yeah, exactly. for Canada. So you know, it's going to be you know, and he's he was a sevens player back then too, and it's, yeah, um, yeah. And, oh God. But 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 yeah, like that's 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 the thing though is you know he. Yeah, Hiriyama played uh, at the Pan Am Games and then went to the World Cup in like that year, right? And it's you know it's 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 tough. Um, McCrory, I think, is a better scrum half than he is a fly half, um, but you need you need somebody to play there. And uh, I don't know. At some point, like I think Peter Nelson, I think, struggled at fly half in the opening game against the United States. Uh, Shane O'Leary, I thought had a pretty decent game, uh, but a, like it was, it's a decent game. He had a, his goal kicking is really solid. Um, so I was happy with that. Um, and I think like, I don't know. I just, I think we're just kind of at the point where it's like, you just kind of want to see somebody kind of run away with this and just like have a great game at fly half. And we'll just be like, great man, stick with that. Um, because, like, I don't know, like, it'll be interesting to see, you know, after after the Pacific Nations Cup, who plays fly half against Leinster uh, coming in, because, I, like, I don't, I don't know, I feel like this is, like, the one position that's, you know, you can kind of, like, you can kind of have, like, the battles and stuff shaped out, like, um, but I think you still kind of have a rough idea of, like, what, like, the, like, loose head depth chart looks like, what the hooker depth chart looks like, you know, what the back row depth chart kind of looks like. You know, as far as like who would start, who's gonna come off the bench, who's gonna, you know, who's gonna be like the spare guy that's part of the grander thirty-one man squad. Um, and I think those other positions you can kind of look at and kind of see the hierarchy, whereas the fly half jersey just kind of seems to be a, you know, let's start putting some guys in there and hope something works out eventually. Yeah. yeah. 
See, my, my opinion is I think O'Leary had a strong enough game that he deserved another look. I think yeah. that, again, like I mentioned and- earlier in this podcast, is that I would would have liked to see him with Mac because Mac is going to be starting nine. And I think at this point, I mean, we know what McRory, we, we saw, we know what McRory does. We know, yeah. we know what type of a fly half he's going to be. Uh, he, he's, we've seen it. I want to see more of O'Leary because he hasn't been able to get as much playing time. He wasn't brought to the repishage. He wasn't brought to the ARC. I think that's, that's, the, that's where we need to go. I think that's the, that's the, the, the point of, of having him come in. I mean, he had such a strong season in, uh, in England that, I don't know. Yeah, and, like, I don't know. Like, I think that's the one thing. It's like, I'm kind of surprised that O'Leary's just not even on the bench in this game. Um, yeah. The three backs being uh, McKenzie backing up Mack at scrum half and then Blevins and Parfrey. Um, but I think, yeah, like, I, that, that to me was the biggest surprise is that, like, he said, like, O'Leary had a good game. And I'm like, I'm surprised he's not, at the very least, you know, because it's it, like, here's like, Parfrey can play fly half. Um, if, you know, if need be, like, say, if uh, McCrory gets, you know, isn't having a great game or gets injured or something, like, Parfrey can step up and play fly half. But, like, I don't know if I want Patrick Parfrey playing fly half at the World Cup either. Um, yeah. But, like, if, but, like, yeah, like, who, if you look at the lineup that's actually going in against Tonga, though, it's, you know, if you have to switch some guys around, Parfrey is the only guy that can really go to fly half. Yeah, I, I think the thing that, that like, I, I've, I've seen people say, and, I, and I, I think it's true, out of all the guys that have been playing the 10 jersey and have subbed off and for Canada in the PNC and also at the ARC, mm-hmm. O'Lear is the only one that's been consistently playing 10. Like he's yeah. been playing the 10 jersey all season. You know, can't say that about McRory. Can't say that about a park You can't say that about Nelson. So, yeah. I, and that, that's even, like, that was part, like, I think a few episodes back, we were talking about uh, where DTH should go. And that was, like, my whole argument for why he should play wing is because it's his best position. So let's let him, like, let him play there. Where it's, you know, if you have, like, say, like, Peter Nelson's best position is probably fullback, right? So, like, what you don't necessarily yeah, yeah. want him at fly half because he plays better at fullback. And it's, you know, it's the same with, you know, Parfrey. It's the same with McRory. Like, they have, like, yeah, I, I agree. Like, O'Leary's the only guy on the team that his, regardless of his actual, like, skill set, he the position that he plays the best is fly half. So yeah, yeah. maybe just let him be fly half. Um, but I don't know. But then again, like we gotta see what McRory does. Um, yeah, you know, again, we mentioned this. Him, so uh, we mentioned know. this a couple weeks ago with with Nelson. Maybe Oli- maybe McRory just blows our mind and has a great game against Tonga and you yeah. know, kicks well and and distributes the ball well. Which uh, I mean, honestly, hopefully he does. Um, we're we are not like I yeah we, like we're I'm not sure. cheering against him. Don't yeah, get his wrong like, I want to well. see this happen. I hope everybody blows our minds this week. Yeah, it's a great game. Um, um, so let's let's talk about the guys uh, across the pitch. You know what what do what does Tonga bring to the pitch? Because you 
you were mentioning a few things and you saw a few things in, in their game against Japan. Um, what, what does Tonga bring to the field and, you know, does Canada have a chance to pull something off in this game? Yeah, I think, like, after watching the game with Japan, I think, and seeing the lineup that uh, the Tongans and Canada are putting forward for tomorrow night, excuse me, um, I think I think it's a winnable game for Canada. Especially, like, we briefly touched on it. The pack looks um, pretty much, like, you know, barring maybe an injury or maybe switching up you know, one or two, we'll see who actually ends up wearing that loose head jersey. Um, but, you know, it was like, that's pretty much getting to your World Cup pack. Um, so, it, like, ultimately, it's a pretty solid and strong lineup from Canada here. Um, so, if they play well, I definitely think they can beat Tonga. Um, Tonga is a very physical team, um, but that also leads to some problems because they're also a super undisciplined team. And which, you know, um, if you can even get that, if Canada can kind of do even something a little similar to what they did against Fiji, uh, like I said, it's like Canada lost to Fiji 38 to 13, which as a score sounds pretty bad. Um, but they had 62% of the territory in that game. So most of the game was still played. A decent chunk of that game was played within the Fijian half. Um, and but the thing is, is like if Canada against Tonga, who's a super undisciplined team, and they've shown their they've struggled to maintain that discipline sometimes, um, especially against Japan, if Canada can just if you can just almost start just chipping away at the scoreboard by you know getting in position and just you know kicking some penalties, um, like you could the Canada could probably put themselves in a really good spot. Um, they just got to take advantage of those penalties that Tonga is going to take. And Tonga is definitely going to take penalties. Um, so you, you definitely can. Um, the, a couple of the other th big things, especially if you really, if you watch the, the game against the uh, Japan, um, Tonga had a lot of missed tackles, um, like a lot, like a very unusually high amount of uh, unfinished tackles. There's the, I don't know there's that one graphic that was posted to uh, the Reddit page that was like they made 20 tackles but have missed like 18 or something like that at whichever point in the game that was. Um, but like yeah, it's true they missed a lot and like and two uh, one of the areas that Japan was able to really um, kind of you know was really sort of almost able to feast on the Fijian def uh, on the, excuse me on the Tongan defense and the um, you know, their inability to make tackles was on the wing. Um, so uh, the number 14 for Japan, uh, Katoro Matsushima, and uh, their 11, Lomeno Lameki, uh, just had an absolute field day. Um, they were able to basically do whatever they wanted to do. Um, they were break breaking tackles. They were scoring tries under the posts. Um, they, uh, like, even, like, in defense, oh, Matsushima had a yellow card in the bin and he still ran for an insane an insane amount of meters he had you know created a bunch of line breaks had you know obviously had a try himself as well um and you know if you kind of like look at that and you can look at it and it's like uh tonga was having a really hard time 
containing the Japanese wingers. Um, whenever they touched the ball, they made something happen. And I kind of look at this lineup and be like, they got to defend DTH Vandermerver and Jeff Hassler um, this week. So that's, you know, I would really like to see a little bit. I would really like to see Canada go f- go for a little bit more of just keeping the ball in your hands than what they did against Fiji. Because yeah. it would be, because it's like watching that Tongan, the Tongan defense last week. So they they had a really hard time with the with the wingers, and you know Jeff Hassler and TTH Vandermerver are world class wingers. Um, so it would be really nice to see them be able to get the balls in the uh, the ball in their hands and uh, you know do some damage. Um, if I honestly like if that if that can happen, if Canada can take advantage of the penalties um, that Tonga will take. Um, if they can take advantage of those and, you know, they can shred some of these tackles and they can get the ball out to the wings. Um, I think, I think Canada will act, will have a pretty solid shot at winning this game and they probably will win this game if, but uh, that's, you know, they got to make that happen. For sure. And I think that's a good point is that was something that they didn't take advantage of against Fiji is the wingers really didn't get the ball as much, yeah. especially in the U S game. It didn't, it did not happen Poor DTH was just sitting no. most of that game. Um, the last little bit of news about rugby Canada and has more to do about North American and South American rugby. Um, the ARC announced that in 2020, there'll be regulation uh, relegation. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting because after this season of 2020 and 2021, the ARC will be a qualifier for the Olympics. Or not for the Olympics, for the World Cup. Mm -hmm. So there is a possibility that Canada might miss out on qualifying for the World Cup in the 2021 uh, at the ARC. So my question to you, do you think relegation in the ARC is good? Is it bad? Does it promote growth? You know, there's there's relegation in rugby has always been a point of contention for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this event and for it leading up to the next year, which is the qualifying for the World Cup, do you think it's good? Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's uh, it gives. I think it, to an extent, sometimes I think it gives teams something else to play for. Uh, you know, maybe if you've if you've had a bad term, tournament, like you know, your last game could be if you get to stay in the tournament or not. Um, so that's that's always huge. Um, those, it also, are the best, like, those are sometimes the best games. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, too, it's like it also like you never know how like the tournament will go too. like that could that could, you know, set up a game that's like, you know, in theory, this game could be like USA versus Paraguay or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Which would be like which would probably be like a, you know, that that'd be like the biggest game that Paraguay has probably played in a really long time if that were to happen. Um, and you know, you could get some of those like, yeah, like even like at the Argentine in 15, like, um, upsets happen and stuff. So you never, you never know, but that could set up like, you know, those, te- uh, those kind of those teams like Canada, USA, um, that could have to go play a game in like Chile or something, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing at all. Um, my, I, I like my question is, is if Argentina qualifies by just Moving on to the quarter to the, the, the quarterfinals, and Argentina fifteen is in the final for the twenty twenty one ARC. 
Does that mean that the person they're playing in the final automatically qualifies for the World Cup? That is a great question that you should probably find somebody that knows a lot more about rugby than I do to answer it. All right, listeners. But, Please yeah, like, that, that would be, that'd be an interesting that answer. Although, maybe it would just be cool. Maybe there's going to be two Argentinian teams at the World Cup. Um, that, that has been, but, like, discussed with some other countries. Like, why can't the Maori All Blacks play? If they yeah. qualify. But, um... Yeah, like it's tough. Oh, I mean, back to the the uh, the real. I think, I think promotion and relegation is good. I think, to be honest with you, I think the Six Nations should do it. Well, um, yeah. Italy, Italy's what the fifteenth ranked country in the world, something like that, yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah, the U.S. Whatever. is higher than them. Yeah, like there's there's other like there's countries that are higher ranked. The rugby championship, I mean, too, like. You know, like, I mean, I think, like, yeah, give Fiji Tonga Samoa, like, a shot in that if you had, like, your own little. Uh, I think the one of the big, the one thing I think those, like, I think, you know, you have some of those other unions, obviously money and everything, although, you know, the political side of the game is a big factor in that, um, which would obviously be preventing that. But I think if you look at, like, the Americas, there's a lot of countries that are getting a lot better um brazil at this year's arc was very impressive yep. um their scrum uh did some damage as well and you know they had uh you know josh reeves uh was a really good goal kicker um so i mean like they they're definitely you know they like if you give them that platform and stuff to actually compete uh with you know say some of the better america's nations like you know even Ar- argentina even though it's argentina 15 canada usa um, you know, like that could be a really good thing for just, you know, Brazilian and rugby in general. Um, it's also, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to make, uh, you know, like it, it gives you, I think sometimes, especially like if you do look at Italy, I think sometimes you get like a little complacent if you can't go down. Right. So it's like, like what's like Italy's no, like, isn't near the other five, six nation countries. Right. It's like, they're, Especially in like recent years, they're just like they're cannon fodder for just like go out. Here's your token win, um, but it, it's but like because of like if but Italy, it would almost be weird to be like Italy probably gets better if there's a team breathing down their neck. Exactly, right? like Georgia. I think even like the way like you know Canada's playing right now, Canada probably gets better if there's someone breathing down your neck. Because, yeah, like, yeah. the Repechage tournament was the best rugby Canada has played in a while. And it was just like, it's like, you have to win this or else you're not going to the World Cup. And I think it's, I think it would be kind of like a similar thing, right? It's like, if you have that other country or like, regardless of who it is that can knock you from competing in the top tournament and therefore take you out of a World Cup, it's like, you kind of, like, you, you don't have to, like, to worry like you have something to worry about right like right now it's like you can finish last at the arc you just come back next year it's not a big deal um but i think you know sometimes i think if you if you have that if you have that other team like breathing down the back of your neck being like the second that you slip up we're gonna jump ahead of you into the you know take your spot in the big tournament then you know you might you, you might get a you know like it might it makes you better it's just the increased competition, I think, makes you better, um, regardless of if it's just individual competition between, you know, spots on a team. Um, 
or you know just like it makes your country it makes your country better to be playing better teams um those the teams below them will never get better if you don't allow them to play this gives them an opportunity to potentially play against argentina canada usa brazil um but that would be you know so it, i don't know i like i generally i like the idea i think more competition should have promotion and relegation to be honest with you i agree with you and i think that's the thing is like you know what types of progression has Chilean rugby made? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what have they done to change things? They, they're in the ARC no matter what. Yeah. Uh, it's been, it's, it's a good point that you've made. Um, yes. So the last thing we're going to talk about tonight are, uh, is the Toronto Arrows. Uh, they've been pretty quiet lately. Um, you know, they've been cheering on their guys that have been at the Pacific Nations Cup. But uh, over the weekend, when I was in the wilderness, they decided to drop... Uh, all the news. news, all the news, all the roster additions uh, so far. Um, a couple, uh, a lot of uh, recognizable faces: Giuseppe mm-hmm. Dutrois, Andrew Ferguson, Leandro Levas, Gaston Merez, Peter Malazzo, Stephen Ng, Andrew Quatrin, Mitch Richardson, Lucas Rombal, and Marcello Wainwright. But the two new guys um, that are very interesting are Thomas De La Vega. And Manuel Dana. Mm-hmm. Uh, De La Vega is from Argentina. He is a lock in back row, 28. And Dana is from Uruguay. Uh, and he plays the number eight position. And he is only 23. They're both very interesting. They've had very interesting rugby uh, stories. Um, what do these guys bring to the, to the, to the pitch for the arrows? Because... If you look at, especially at the, the, the flank position, you know, the arrows are, are kind of set. They've had a consistent between Wainwright, Rumball, and, um, and Malazzo. They've been pretty consistent keeping those guys there. So that's another piece of uh, competition. And does this number eight and Manuel Dana kind of say goodbye to Luke, Lucas Campbell, you know? Is this kind of the, the the new the new number eight for the arrows? Well, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know um, I don't know if that's necessarily uh, there are uh, if you kind of look at some of the the most recent uh, um, media or uh, those social media posts and stuff that the arrows have had um, at least a couple of the ones on Facebook. Uh, Campbell's one of the guys that's kind of like in the little uh, the little graphic and stuff. So I don't I don't necessarily know if. Uh, Dana uh, or Dana being here um, uh, really actually means that uh, Campbell's gone. I think it means is what I think it means is I think this back row is deep as hell. Yes, um, which uh, is actually insane. Um, so we know for sure. So from this signing, there's 12 guys ultimately in this uh, group of players coming back. Five of them play on the back row. Or five of them can play on the back row. Um, so we got Malazzo, Rumble, Wainwright, De La Vega, and uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Dana, um, all coming back. Um, and uh, so yeah, so I think like it, it just um, one of the things that uh, uh, Mark Winnaker said um, in the official press release was that they wanted to add some depth at certain positions. And uh, depth has definitely been added to the back row. Uh, you got Peter Malazzo, who all year was at, you know, up near the top of, you know, lineout takes, lineout steals, 
Um, he was also the Arrows Iron Man, played uh, nearly every minute of every single game. The only the only minutes he didn't play were in that game against Austin. That was part of the you know three games in eight days stretch. If that game doesn't get rescheduled, Malazzo probably plays all 80 minutes in all 16 games. Um, Lucas Rumble is obviously Lucas Rumble. Um, so, you know, he, unfortunately, you know, he had the knee injury. Um, but, you know, he's he's one of the elite players on this continent. And, uh, you know, he, he was the captain. He served as captain uh, for a bit or uh, for the opening game uh, in franchise history as well. Marcello Wainwright, um, a bunch of his teammates will constantly refer to him as the most underrated player in the league. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, and he uh, he he was outstanding coming off uh, as part of the reserves bench throughout the year. Um, so, yeah, adding De La Vega, who has 12 caps for uh, was 12 caps for Argentina and Dana, who has 22 caps for Los Terros, just 23 years old, already up to 22 caps. Um, it just. And it just adds a lot of depth to that one position. Um, so that's going to be a very interesting, I think that's a very interesting battle at camp. Figure out uh, who's going to be starting in the 6, 7, and 8 jerseys. Um, Dana, uh, one thing that I find interesting to note, um, plays for old Christians um, in Uruguay or played for them last year, um, which is the same club that uh, Leandro Livas comes from. Um, so now we're up to... Uh, who was also announced as part of the uh, this class of si- or this round of signings? Yes, along with uh, Gaston Mirez. So yes, yeah, the uh, the Uruguayan contingent is growing on the Toronto Arrows. Yeah, Karen from uh, Rugby United Canada will be very happy to see that those two boys are back. And uh, if anybody wants to has wants an Instagram follow that's just very underrated, Levas is hilarious, and especially when it's in season, he loves to. Uh, show off his teammates. So always, always a good follow there. Um, it's it is a very interesting bunch, and I, I really think you uh, you hit the nail on the head about depth, especially in that back row. And you know we did see some injuries throughout the season on you know mm-hmm. uh, especially with Rumble. So it will be interesting to see where these guys play. One thing with Dana that uh, was mentioned, I believe, by Brian Ray in their write up about this on America's Rugby News is that he actually won the position of the number eight from some more seasoned guys. And it looks like he might be the guy leading to the world cup that plays that number eight jersey for Uruguay. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what type of, uh, where he, he ends up uh, at the world cup, um, whether or not he's playing on the bench starting. So it'll be exciting to watch him play. Yeah. Um, and the last thing, this, this is a little question that I, I got from somebody. Um, do you prefer that the arrows kind of drop these all at once, or do you want them to be more like Nola or San Diego, where it's like one player every now and then? Um, for me, it personally doesn't matter, but I can tell you why the arrows do this, as opposed to the one-on-one announcements or the one of uh, the one player, not the one-on-one, the one player at a time announcements. Um, so. For the Toronto Arrows, the like organizational culture is a very important thing to their team. Um, and uh, one of the things with that is, you know, the uh, 
there's uh, uh, I believe it's uh, James Kerr that wrote a book about the All Blacks culture called Legacy, um, that essentially um, outlines all the rules that the All Blacks have for being on their team, and uh, one of those uh, one of those rules is no dickheads, um, which is you know just a good rule in life in general, really. Um, so the uh, the arrows kind of abide by that rule. Um, and uh, one of the things that they really believe is that nobody nobody is above the team, which is why they don't release signings one on a, as a you know one by one basis. Um, so if you kind of look back at the Arrows' history in announcing player signings, um, they've never done um, anybody as an individual. Um, the only time that that happened was Dan Moore, um, and that's only because Dan Moore. Uh, put it on Instagram before the arrows could uh, could actually announce it. So he kind of announced his own signing. So that's, um, but that's different. That's you know the player um, posting something on social media. Um, but if but for the most part though, the arrows announce every single signing in blocks, and that's because they genuinely they, they generally believe that you know no individual player is greater than the team as a whole. Um, which is why you see, you know, Lucas Rumble signing is being announced right next to Mitch Richardson, uh, which is being announced right next to Gaston Murez and Marcello Wainwright, um, regardless of, you know, how much you actually get paid, regardless of, you know, how, you know, whether regardless of whether you start every single game or whether, you know, you're, you know, on, you know, part of the reserves or whether you're, you know, you don't even play the majority of the games your role on the team is, you know, it's all viewed as like equal. Everyone's, you know, a part of the team and nobody's above that. And, you know, that's the type of culture that the arrows want to have and they want to instill in all their players. And, um, you know, I genuinely believe through talking to the team like that, um, that, you know, if the arrows, uh, not saying that they actually have anything big planned, but if the arrows were to sign, you know, say a player to in, you know, the same kind of, you know, idea of like, you know, a Bastero or a Armitage or something, I guarantee you that player would be announced as just one of the names in a block of 10 or 15 players. Um, just because that's the, that's just the way that their culture is there. Um, so uh, back to your original question, um, to be honest, it doesn't really matter to me if you announce 10 guys at a time or one guy at a time. Um, it's ultimately it's good off season content for every team in the league. Um, I like that they're kind of you know it's being kind of drawn out because it gives it keeps MLR like in a bit of the media yeah. um, highlight you know just so we can kind of it's just you know that there's like there's news coming out every day there's player signings every day. Um, it's either this it's or figuring good. out if there's going to be an MLR team in Ohio or yeah, yeah, LA exactly. or Dallas. So yeah, there is going to be a team in Dallas though. Um, but it's exciting, uh, but yeah, like it gives you know, it adds it gives it you know, provides off season content. Um, but uh, but as far as you know, I don't really think it matters if you announce as a you know, as a block of 10 or 12 or 15 or whichever you have, um, or if you do it one by one. But ultimately, the arrows do it this way because that's part of their culture and they believe you know, no one. No one player is, you know, bigger than the team as a whole. So they announce signings as a team. There you go. 
All right. Well, thank you very much, Derek. Um, if anyone wants to follow us on social media, LaRouge Rugby on Twitter. Uh, we post mostly about uh, Canadian rugby, surprise, surprise, but also about our, our podcast episodes and when they are available and where they're available. Um, thank you very much for listening. And uh, hopefully by this next episode, we'll have a exciting game and an exciting win against Tonga to talk about.